What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilbur Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, I'll stay the same, pack up, don't stray. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. So uh, I was reading this story. Lauren, you're just giggling over there. Did you recognize I, the lyric? Yeah, yeah. That's, it's from the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. Yes, it is from the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. You know what the song's name is, right? Maps. We're going to talk about maps today. But, but not, but not, not a, the kind what with the mountains and the oceans. <laughs> no, no, we're not going to talk <laughs> about... Or the political borders. We're not going to talk about cartographers here. We're going to talk about maps of nervous systems, uh, which is it has a specific name, a connectome. Now, a what? A connectome. How do you spell that? I don't. <laughs> no, it's C-O-N-N-E-C-T-O-M-E. What on uh, earth is that thing? It looks like it's connect to me, but it's Yeah, it's that's a what I was thinking in my brain, honestly. Uh, I actually watched a TED Talk. Okay. <laughs> and, and I'm just going to pronounce it the same way the fellow did. So connectome, what it is, is it's a, a complete neural map of an organism's neurons. So think of it like a wiring diagram. If you were an electrician and you needed to have a diagram of a wiring system, it's like that except for the nervous system of an actual organism. Now, to have a true connectome, you need it to be three-dimensional because we are not two-dimensional creatures. You know, it's, it's So you wouldn't want to have just 
just a flat oh, representation. Most of us aren't. Yeah. Most of us. Yeah. Most of us are, are well-rounded individuals. Everyone in this room is certainly. So you want to have a three-dimensional uh, uh, ability. You know, you want to be able to, to depict it in three dimensions so that you have an accurate look at what this nervous system is. And it's supposed to show all the neurons and connections between them within our or- an organism. So. Surely we have not done this to an actual organism, oh, have yes, we? Oh, yes, we have. What? O- only one has a complete connectome of all of its neurons, and that would be Cenorhabditis elegans, or C. elegans, also known as a worm, teeny <laughs> tiny worm. Um, yeah, it only has 302 neurons. So, oh. oh, okay. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> not, not, yeah, I know. You're like, <laughs> Joe is totally yeah. unimpressed. Like, I'm not impressed by this groundbreaking scientific discovery. <laughs> take, take that, scientists. Uh, yeah. Deal we, with my puff. <laughs> 302 neurons is a tiny amount, comparatively speaking, but we'll get to that. So scientists began to study these worms uh, in a, in an effort to understand neurology better, uh, among other things. I mean, of course, scientists all over the place like like worms. I mean, who doesn't? Oh, yeah. But yeah. They, these particular scientists were interested in studying the worms to, to create a connectome, and they figured that this was a good place to start. Uh, so back in the 1970s, you had a, a team that was looking into it, and it wasn't until 1986 that they were able to publish the first preliminary connectome wow. for this worm. Hmm. And more than 20 years after that, you had a second team produce a much more complete connectome uh, a more accurate representation of the connectome. So it is a very slow process. And that's just 302 neurons, right? It's not that many, comparatively speaking. And then this year, 2014, in May, another team published a paper about creating a real-time 3D map of this worm's neural system in action, meaning you could see the uh, impulses moving up and down the length of this worm as its nervous system was taking over for any anything, like from detecting stimuli to sending the information up to the ganglia to reacting to it. Uh, it was this is what's really the groundbreaking. I mean, all of it's groundbreaking, but this is really groundbreaking stuff. You're talking about being able to get a real time view of what's going on within the nervous system of an organism. I can't even imagine how one would do that. Well, I you don't have to imagine it because someone <laughs> has you're gonna done it. Tell me, I will tell you. Uh, it, no, this was really a, an interesting idea. So, within this worm's nervous system, essentially, what's going on is neurons are passing information in the form of calcium ions. So these calcium ions are passing from one neuron to the next, right? So, so there's a chemical electrochemical transaction. Exactly. So if you go with this calcium ion, if you're able to uh, make it stand out in some way, and then you're able to actually capture that information, you can see what's going on. So they develop some fluorescent biomarkers. So essentially, this is just meaningless information that glows. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not meant to harm the organism in any way. You want it to, to keep everything intact, but it ends up marking those calcium ions. Yeah, it, it glows specifically when it binds with a calcium ion. Exactly. So so that way, when this is going on, the scientists can see it. Uh, now, of course, just making the worms have little calcium ions that glow doesn't mean that they're going to be able to see everything that's going on, right? I mean, you're not going to be standing there looking at a worm thinking, well, there's a flash of light. It's thinking <laughs> something. Uh, that's, that's not the way it works. That's um, honestly about as far as be. I would have gotten. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, worms aren't really thinking that much anyway. So if it wasn't sparking, you'd just be thinking, well, we got a particularly stupid worm. Uh, oh, look, he's contemplating... 
Kant's objection to the ontological <laughs> argument. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like this, this worm is obviously a fan of Nietzsche. He's a scholar um, of Descartes. <laughs> I like that we're all just going to start. Let's just keep on naming yeah. various thinkers. Rousseau. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do about that? You know, if the worm doesn't think, it just disappears. Anyway, uh, the scientists decided that the way to capture all this information, because obviously if you used a regular light microscope, even if it was powerful enough to detect those calcium ions that are glowing, you would still only have a two-dimensional representation of what was happening, right? You're yeah. not getting any depth there. So how do you get the depth? And that they managed to do through a technique called light field deconvolution microscopy. What? I know, right? I love different kinds of microscopy. <laughs> I do, too. I I'm do n- too. No, I'm not joking. I really do. No, I, I believe you. That wasn't like a laugh a of disbelief. microscopy treats, uh, uh, snap, crackle, and pop. Well, uh, no, okay. No, I'm serious. Well, I grew up with a little uh, kind of cruddy micro- microscope that uh-huh. I would stare through. I'd, I'd stain a, a little pane and put right. some kind of junk on there and look at it. But everything just looked like gray squiggles, you know, because it was that backlit microscope sure. that we've all seen before. It's just got the light coming up the tube from the bottom and, and you see this two dimensional cross section that's not very colorful. It's wonderful now that we have all these techniques to see three dimensional shapes uh, at the micro level. Right. And light field, this is something you guys might have heard about. In fact, we may have even talked about it in the past. Uh, you, you've heard of light field photography which is what the Lytros camera uses. This is the idea of capturing information by not just the fact that there's light there, but capturing the direction of light, the rays of light within a scene. So you're capturing all the light that is within the scope of that camera. Uh, now, with a Lytros camera, what this means is that when you take a picture, you can change the focal point of that picture after it's been taken. So I have Lauren standing in the foreground, and I've got Joe way off in the background, and I take a picture. And at first, Lauren's in focus, Joe's not. But if I tap on Joe, he suddenly becomes in focus and Lauren goes out of focus and it's it's dynamic. I can change I can pick the focal point within the picture and change it because it's captured all of that information as opposed to your classic photography, which is stuck with whatever the focal point of the lens was at the moment you took the picture. Sure. Um, in the specific case of this light field deconvolution microscopy, the, the idea is that you're using, rather than the single lens that Joe is talking about through traditional microscopy, an array of lenses that refract and collect a single point of light, uh, thereby letting you get a good idea of where that little blip is in three-dimensional space. Right. So now you've got this more complete look at all these different blips within this three-dimensional space. What do you do next? Well... That doesn't really help you out that much unless you then send it to a computer running special software, which is taking all this information, crunching it, and then forming a three-dimensional map of that worm's nervous system and then showing the actual activity via the the little fluorescent calcium ions. Uh, while the worm, you know, does normal worm stuff yeah. or... Um... Or abnormal worm stuff. Or, or, or is exposed to a, to, <laughs> to, to, to a sword or a smell of some kind, right, 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 I was right, going right. to say. Oh, fine, fine. But so yeah, if you were to give whatever it some stimulus. Form of, well, yeah, some kind of stimuli that ends up making the worm react in some way. Right. It's, it's exposed to a book of Nietzsche that has decomposing pages it can eat. That would be probably the best kind of Nietzsche for this particular type of worm. But yeah. yes, you, so you're exactly right. You would be able to see, uh, by the, the reaction in the nervous system, what is going on inside the worm. Not necessarily understand it, but you would be able to see it. Mm-hmm. You know, keep in mind, these are, this is an important step, but it's just a step. We'll, we'll go into more about the implications in a little bit, but this complex software has to crunch all that, put up the, the map, 
And it's more or less, it's, it's on a millisecond scale. It's something like 50 images per second. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, but still not, if you think of time as resolution in yeah. this sense, it's a low resolution image. So it's not resolution in the sense of, of how many pixels or whatever, or how sharp the picture is, but rather how, how accurate is it over time? And it's a time scale that's it's too slow for it to be, uh, you know, it, it's not advanced enough for it, for us to call it true real time. It's really good. But I think what we're going to see is we're going to see more development in computer software and this technology where we'll start to have a, an even uh, more elongated timescale. We'll get down to like nanosecond level at some point. Which will point. be especially important for things more complex than worms. Now, in order to do all that number crunching, you can't just use one computer because it actually is so um, intense that they have to use grid computing for it. So they're using... Oof. Using multiple computers to solve problems in parallel. So each computer is taking a little bit of the work. Right. And we've talked about this in the past, too, about how you use a distributed computing system in order to divide up a big task into lots of smaller tasks, which makes it more manageable. Otherwise, you would have to have the world's fastest computer, and even that might be slower than a grid of computers right. working in this way. But as long as your problems don't have to be solved sequentially, like that solving number two doesn't depend on solving number one, you can split them up. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's pretty awesome, this idea of being able to see what's going on with the neurons inside a worm. But um, what else could we look at? So so 302 neurons, yeah. right? Yeah. What about something that has like 100 billion neurons or a, a conservatively 80 billion neurons? Okay. Uh, that's a tall order because this, <laughs> this, this team, the best that they've done beyond the worm, I mean, not to – I'm not trying to suggest that they haven't done their work. This is incredible. It's better than stuff. I've done today. Yeah. Yeah. But the other thing they, they did was they imaged about half of a zebrafish's neurons. Uh, zebrafish, zebrafish larvas. Larvas. Thank you. Yes. Neurons. A zebrafish larva, not an actual zebrafish. Uh, but the zebrafish larva and it, the zebrafish larva have about 10,000 neurons. So they were able to image 5,000 of those. Um, and there's some other examples of organisms that we've managed to create partial connectomes. Uh, for example, the retinas and visual cortex of a mouse. Oh. Those have been completed oh. or yeah. mostly completed. I shouldn't say completed, partially completed. When you're talking about humans, it's 80 to 100 billion neurons, something like 100 trillion synapses connecting all those neurons in various configurations. Orders of magnitude does not do this justice, right? You can't just say, oh, it's a couple orders of magnitude. No, huh. it's it's an enormous jump from yeah. a worm to a person, for most people anyway. Would it be fair to say that the the problem represented by doing the same kind of thing with a brain on the scale of a human brain is not just like a scaling up problem. It, it's like a, it's another ballpark entirely. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like, not like we just need a little more power. It's like right. we're not we're not even close. Yeah. I mean, the closest we got is is working our way toward building a connectome, not a real time three dimensional moving picture. Huh. Like, uh-huh. you know, the one with the worm, you're actually able to watch. It's not thought, but you're able to watch impulses as they move throughout the worm's body. Yeah. Um, with the humans, the closest we're getting is uh, the human connectome project was the the best known one. But this is just to create that neural map. And I think it's something like 1,200 participants for the uh, entire program for this particular approach. And this is a five-year mission, which is familiar <laughs> to all of our Star Trek fans out there, uh, which began in 2009, July 2009. So we're getting up there. So they yeah. will end up kissing the connectome. Yeah. 
<laughs> so at any rate, uh, this is a, a collaboration between a, a, a few different um, uh, research facilities, the, the two main ones being the Laboratory of Neuroimaging Im- at UCLA and the Martino Center for Biomedical Imaging at Massachusetts General Hospital. And uh, it's sponsored uh, in part by the National Institutes of Health. And so this is a, an interesting approach, again, trying to create a neural map of human beings. It's not, again, it's not a, a real-time representation, but just to actually map out all the neurons and, and synapses. That alone is an incredibly huge task. So they had to start commissioning new types of, of technology and software to be able to try and tackle this problem. And one of those was a, uh, a super scanner from Siemens. And Siemens makes all sorts of different uh, uh, high-grade technology equipment. In this case, they were using a, a MRI that did, does three different types of MRI in one go. It does a diffusion tensor imaging, diffusion spectrum imaging, and high angular resolution diffusion imaging, also known as Hardy. Uh, so all of that's different types of magnetic resonance and imaging, MRI type stuff. Does it so that it can get the most... Um, complete picture of a person's nervous system. And uh, the the literature that is available on the Human Connectome Project shows pictures of these things, and they do Mm -hmm. look like something straight out of, you know, Star Trek or Star Wars or something like that. Uh, And uh, they talk about how this this equipment, while it's very useful for this particular project, will also be incredibly useful for numerous medical applications from this point forward. So it's not like this was a piece of equipment that was made for this one and only one thing. And after that, you know, it's, well, that was cool. Uh, It's actually going to be useful long after this project has concluded. So that's kind of cool. Now, on the computer side, they're also using grid computing to run all this stuff and make sure that they can uh, uh, process all the information in order to actually come up with the results. So, you know, you think about it. If you're looking to map 80 to 100 billion uh, little tiny neurons. Like, you need to map all of those and then all their connections. Even if it's not, you know, as complex as you would first imagine, just the number alone means that that's a lot of data. So that's why you have to have this kind of grid computing approach or else it just wouldn't work. So that's kind of uh, interesting. I'd like to, you know, read up on it more. Um, there is a website for the Human Connectome Project. It is not perhaps the most flashy or uh, um, sophisticated website I've ever seen, but it's certainly effective. So I am interested <laughs> to see what – I mean, I, I was able to understand everything, so that <laughs> that was good. There wasn't a little uh, image of a man in a construction hat saying, you know, like, website <laughs> under development, so that was good. But there was a dancing baby. There was a, a MIDI of Ace of Base. I don't know why <laughs> – no, I'm just kidding. I'm just <laughs> kidding. Uh, but yeah, I'll be really curious to see what all the the outcomes are of this project when it concludes. I am assuming they're going to publish a lot. So I want to play devil's advocate. Yeah. Because as you all know, I, like y'all, am someone who likes building weird things that don't have an obvious benefit to the lay person. <laughs> or sometimes an obvious detriment. <laughs> <laughs> So your um, crotch kicking uh, robot is what I'm thinking of immediately. <laughs> was that? Was that? It was yeah, a detriment no, that... to me. <laughs> okay. I didn't. You know. All right. No. 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 Okay. No. Imagine I'm the lay person who says, "What you going to use that for?" 
Oh, all right. Well, that's a good question. What difference does it make? Well, I mean, it's a worm brain. So from just going from the worm, so we're not even talking about the Human Connectome Project. We're just talking about that three-dimensional look at the worm's nervous system. It tells us more about how nervous systems in general work. This is an area that we know very little about in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. We know what we know is that we don't know a lot. Yeah. Right. We do understand some things. We understand some of the the very basic things that are happening, but we don't understand how they're working necessarily across an entire system all at once. Well, the way I'd phrase it, though, obviously, I'm no neuroscientist. The way I understand it is that we have a lot of observations. Yeah but we don't know what they mean. And this is another step getting closer toward understanding the meaning behind what we've observed. It doesn't mean that we're, you know, obviously the, that the light bulb has come on and now everything makes sense, but it's the only way for us to get to that understanding is to continue making observations and to continue doing experimentation in order to really get an idea of what's going on and why it's happening the way it is. And the closer we get to mapping out nervous systems, the more we'll understand everything from basic functions of a healthy uh, you know, human brain to any sort of dysfunctional activity. So mm-hmm. whether that's from brain damage or from any of a number of neurological diseases or disorders right. or, uh, or or even from from mental health disorders. Yeah, I've seen a lot of discussion about the Human Connectome Project. One of its goals is to study things like uh uh, people who su- suffer from schizophrenia mm-hmm. and to see what what is is different about their nervous systems compared to someone who does not suffer from schizophrenia. And perhaps through understanding these sort of dysfunctions, we might be able to address them or perhaps even cure them in the future. Now, granted, all of that. Those are I really say, big ifs. Yeah. And-, and when you say in the future, you're talking about a good distance into the future. We're not talking about something that's going to turn around and happen within the next six months. Uh, I want to be clear about that because 20 I, to 50 years. Yeah. When you, whenever you read <laughs> these reports, you know, people like the people who write the reports, uh, not everybody, but some people fall into that kind of easy journalism trap where you say this will lead to curing mental illness. Uh, it's it's possible that let me put it this way if we don't do these steps it'll be a lot harder to do it yes but this this may or may not lead us down that pathway but certainly if we don't do the work we won't get there so uh, another thing that could possibly happen way off into the future is that by understanding more about how these neural pathways work in organisms we could create a synthetic creature, whether that's biological or whether it's purely electronic, Mm -hmm. we might be able to create a synthetic intelligence by learning more about how our intelligence Mm -hmm. works. Or uh, or build that that brain-like computer that we were talking about a few episodes ago. Yeah. So that's another thing that's a possibility. Again, it is not necessarily true that what we're doing today or what these scientists are doing today will be a direct path from A to B that leads there. But it could very well be that's an important step along the journey. So, uh, you know, I, I always hate making big predictions and saying, oh, well, in, in 10 years, we're going to have these thinking computers and mental mental illness will be a thing of the past. Uh, I certainly hope that is true. But uh, what I am really excited about is seeing more developments in this kind of research and finding out what else we learn. Because, again, as we've said multiple times on this podcast, Learning's great. I mean, the more you learn, the the better off you are. 
And so uh, we're fully in favor of it, even if it is something as silly as mapping out a worm's nervous system and learning that it doesn't have a taste for Nietzsche, even if the book <laughs> is rotting. So at any rate, uh, just those a, chemical treated pages they're I tell you, they're I, not the future. The You know, the odd thing was totally went for the Kindle version. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that wraps up this discussion on just the mapping of the nervous system. It's a really cool project. Uh, go ahead and check out the the human connectome project and also look around at some of the, the stories about the the various uh, projects that have gone into trying to map out this worm's nervous system. I mean, that that alone is interesting. I mean, imagine they started in the 70s and it wasn't until 1986 that they were able to publish the first rudimentary connectome. That just, with 302 neurons, it just proves how complex this is. And then, you know, again, that leap to human, big leap uh, for most people. I know a few people who, <laughs> comparison to worms, not that off base. All right. So, guys, if you have any suggestions for future episodes of Forward Thinking, <laughs> I'm not looking at anyone in this room. No, I just love how you always pepper our optimistic view of the future with some really antisocial commentary. <laughs> I, I made the same I made the same joke in the video. So um, but I, that never stopped me before. Right. I'll, I'll tell the same joke. Bless you, times. sir. Bless yeah, thank you. you. Thank you. I have a very specific role to fill in this world. No, if you have any suggestions for future episodes of Forward Thinking, if you want to hear more about the amazing brain or there's just something else that really fascinates you and you wonder what it's going to be like in the future, you should let us know and we will be happy to tackle that subject. You can contact us through Twitter or Facebook or Google Plus. Our handle at all three is FWThinking or you can send a good old-fashioned email. That address is FWThinking at Discovery.com and we'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. 
I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math and Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math and Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.